0: Hi, I'm Kyle
1: and I'm Lisa Engstrom and we came to Ridgewood about fifteen years ago after we had both received Christ.
0: You know I'm a I've been in sales almost my whole professional life and early on sales is is full of uh, peaks and valleys. and um, I spent a lot of time worrying about when we were in the valleys. And I think trusting in the Lord, um, what I've learned is, The Lord seems to know what I need when I need it. You know, it might be not what I think I need, but um, the ability now to let the Lord, uh, His involvement in my life and that trusting relationship with Him helps in some of those valleys and and also in the peaks too. It it, uh, you know creates a humility. Mm
1: -hmm. And for me, just um, this past year, I've really learned a lot about trust losing both my parents in a year and watching and not knowing what was ahead um, and trusting him through every single breath that he knew what was coming he would prepare me he was enough no matter what happened um, not being able to see but trusting him in that moment that he was enough and that his plans were good is for me um, my relationship with him this past year has really taken on a new meaning as far as trust.
0: A generosity and sacrifice. I I really believe it's when you become more like Christ. Um, following Christ as a Christ follower, I realize that, that really this is all his. Yeah. But when I uh, take myself out of the equation and what my wants and needs are and put his in that place, it just kind of leads you to be more sacrificial and, and giving, and through that I, I really feel like you become more like Christ, that whole process of sanctification.
1: I think if it doesn't hurt a little bit, it's not really sacrifice, I mean it's, it's, it's fun to give for us I think, and it's, um, but when it's, when it's easy. But when it gets a little bit tougher, when it's going to sting a little bit or when you're not sure you can really do it, that feels like sacrifice to me and there's something kind of exciting about that. We've seen what God can do with generosity. We were both part of um, Southwest Christian High School when it was a warehouse with no gym and we would I would be moms in prayer and we'd be, please God, let there be 30 kids this year. and to watch it grow. I mean that school grew from being in a church in having classes in a closet to in another classroom it was so cold they had to wear mittens and the fish tank froze, right? And then to see it grow to to the warehouse and then through lots of prayer and generous donations and tons of faith, it grew to a new building, brand new, and now they're already looking for a new building. And I mean not a new building. They're okay.
0: Doubling the size of the building.
1: They're doubling the size of the building. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what's happened. And we think, oh, why would people want to come to, you know, a school? If they're just going to a school just because it looks good, um, you know, how shallow is that? But you know what, that's the way the world is. And if that's what it takes to get people into a, a Christ-like school where they can learn about Jesus and find him there, then so be it. And I think the same for this church. I mean, I just know that, um, that God, if, if this is God's plan, and I believe it is, I mean, I think it's scriptural. He tells us to, to take care of um, those with, living with disabilities. He tells us, let the children come to me. Why wouldn't we um, want, him, want this place to be a place where kids would feel safe and secure, and where it's accessible to everybody because we're all part of the body. Um, What do you think?
0: Well, I I see more lanterns and I see more baptisms. And uh, last night at at BSF, uh, Mitch Avery gave the lesson. And after the the lesson, I walked up and just, you know, encouraged him because he did such a great job. And we were walking around the lanterns. And I said, Mitch, do you know what these lanterns are for? And he said, no. I said, well, these are all new believers that we've, you know, that have come to Christ this year. And I told the story about Chad and the prayers for 52 and whatever God had in store, and it just blew him away. It was really, uh, but I think with with our generosity and, and what Christ can do, I just look, look to more lanterns and, and more baptisms. The baptism this summer, the baptisms, this evening,
1: mm-hmm.
0: wonderful too, so.
1: All for his glory, not yeah. for our own. And, and, that's, what, and yeah. that's what's so cool. People come into the church, they see the lanterns, they see what God has done. And so when they see this building and they see how many people I I believe are gonna come because of it, you know, um, we're gonna look and say, look what God has done. I'm Kyle. And I'm Lisa. And And together together we are illuminating illuminating the light of Christ. Christ.
2: Thank you, Kyle and Lisa. That's pretty exciting. And speaking of the lanterns, you'll also notice that there's names on each one of these lanterns. And we start down there in January and we work all the way through up until the present. So I would just invite you at some point before you go just to walk by and look at all the names of people that are now enjoying eternity with Jesus Christ. That's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I think you can applaud for that. In the, in the Baptist manual, there's a page that says you can applaud for new salvations. So that's what we're doing. Um, this book that many of you have um, is an Illuminate guidebook. If you don't have one, you can get one on your way out. It has all the information about the project. It even has a, um, a decision card here that you can look at. This is for your understanding. And then today we're going to be um, landing on page number... 24. So if you want to take sermon notes, you can do that as well. I'd like to say a prayer though before we get started and uh, ask God to be with us. I would like you to be praying for, we have a group of uh, 25 middle schoolers plus leaders that are at Trout Lake Camp this weekend. They're going to be making their way back, so please pray for their safety as well. And let's bow our heads and do that. God, thank you for all you're doing here. This is all about you. We could never manage this on our own uh, ability or talents. This is all about you working in hearts. It's about you calling people to yourself and we're just thrilled to be a part of what you're doing. Help us never to take this for granted. Help us never to think it's us. Help us always to be on our knees humbly seeking your will and praying. But God we are thankful and now we just give you this few minutes we have together To learn more about you and your word and what you're calling us to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I can't even begin to imagine the pain that Abraham must have been feeling as he walked with his one and only son, the son of his old age, up toward that mountain with this strange request, to sacrifice, your son. Every step must have been horrific. And then to hear Isaac, to hear him ask the question, Father, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And to know that this is the lamb, your son, had to be excruciating. But yet on they went. Abraham was willing to lay everything at the altar of God, to to give him all of himself, including this precious son. And by doing that, by exercising this unimaginable faith, Abraham became this vessel that God could use to empower his people forward for generations to come. And this morning I want you to understand, That when you're willing to look inside of yourself and give God the deepest parts of your heart, that you'll find more of Christ. That you'll find new freedom. You'll find new hope. You'll find new purpose. If you're willing to obey the call to give up everything for God. So let's take a look at that passage this morning. It's an amazing passage narrative and it's found in Genesis 22 beginning in verse 2. Genesis 22 beginning in verse 2. You can grab a Bible on the seat back in front of you if you'd like. It's on page 16. You can also download the app or you can go into that book I just showed you to find the notes and so forth. Genesis 22 beginning in verse 2. This episode is part of this amazing faith journey of Abraham that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. We've seen Abraham called by God first to leave his homeland, to leave everything behind his identity, his family, everything, and Abraham obeyed. And then we see him tested in this promise that God had given him Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham knew that he was in his mid-90s. Sarah was in her mid-90s. Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. Yet somehow Abraham found it within himself to believe this promise. And now here again now, in the most difficult test so far, he moved forward. And if he passed, he could find this new joy of surrendering everything to God. And we begin to, to pick this up in verse 2. And what we see here is that God's command is simply stunning. I didn't know what other word to put to this. Because it's so far out of the box, considering the fact that Abraham had been praying and praying and praying, and then God promised him his son, and then God promised to bring descendants through his son, now God is saying, take your son to the altar and sacrifice him. It's so far out. Out of the box, verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer them there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham must have paused for a moment just to get his equilibrium and say, What? a burnt offering the son of promise and and all of these thoughts must have been racing through Abraham's mind because he knew the promises that God had given him he knew that there were going to be descendants coming from him he knew that it would be a blessing to the nations and he also knew that Isaac was the key to this covenant promise and so he had to be baffled well and how could this happen if Isaac is dead but yet he walked on. Not to mention the emotional, the, the, the toll it must have taken on him to even consider the fact of this beautiful boy that was standing next to him. But yet he obeyed. I don't think he fully understood, but he obeyed. And this was the command. God was asking his servant to do something unimaginable. He's pushing him to the edge of surrender because he wanted Abraham to be this vessel that wasn't clinging to things, that could let everything go. And he would use Abraham's obedience and surrender to build this mighty nation, to empower God's people, and ultimately to bring Messiah into the world to save the world. That's what's at stake here. But Abraham didn't know all of that. But what he did know is that God was calling him. And so the command is striking, but so is Abraham's obedience. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So the command stunning, but Abraham's obedience is seen here as quick and striking. He got up the next morning and he began to prepare. He went out and cut the wood. He, he got his guys together and they began this two-day journey, about a 45-mile walk to this place we call now the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's Mount Moriah. That's where this all was going to take place. And if you've been to Jerusalem, you know about the Temple Mount. Or if you've seen pictures, it's where that big dome of the rock is sitting right now, that Muslim, the mosque, and it's right there on that platform. That's Mount Moriah. That's where this would happen. And this place has so much biblical significance to it. It was a thousand years later that David purchased a threshing floor from a man who was called Aruna the Jebusite, and this would be where Jerusalem one day would stand. Solomon built a temple there, which was sacked by Nebuchadnezzar. Then Herod built the temple there. Herod's temple is the one that Jesus would have interacted with. That was sacked by the Romans in A.D. 70. But this is also the place that many believe that Christ will reign from during his thousand-year millennial reign, at this very but this is where Abraham was taking Isaac for sacrifice. And then one day, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, would rule on this very place. You see, God had a plan in this. It may have seemed really random to Abraham, and he must have said, wait a minute, what is happening here? But God had it all planned out. And it's here that this, this father and his 20-something-year-old son head on this breathtaking mission, surrendering all that's important to him because he loved God. This isn't some easy act of surrender. This isn't writing a check. This isn't going to a garage sale and buying a couple of things to help the poor. This is giving up your son, the most important thing in your life. And God was calling Abraham to this. And it's always the important things. It's it's always the important things that God calls us to because those are the things that become idols in our lives. It's those things that we hold on to. And then what happens is we hold on to these things and then we We push Christ out of those parts of our lives, and what he's saying is, I want to remove these idols so that I can give you all of myself, which is the precious treasure. Jesus is the treasure. and So he's calling Abraham to to give this up, the most important thing. And I think as individuals... Sometimes we hold on to things so tightly. We hold on to our our position, our financial status, how popular we are in school. We hold on to our looks. We hold on to our toys because somehow they give us this false sense of belonging, this false sense of life. When Jesus is saying, I want those things not because I'm trying to to give you a, a bad life, but because I want to give you abundant life. And then... As a church, sometimes we hold on to things like tradition. We hold on to our friend groups. We don't want to do things a different way, and so we close Jesus out of the process when he's really saying, if you just let me move and watch me move and obey me, you'll see stunning things happen like 49 lanterns sitting on a platform. And so this is what's happening here, and it's an amazing thing to watch. Why would God do it this way. You know, I, I read this through this past month and I just kept reading it and this pain in my chest, man, I had a hard time with this because this is a child that was the same age as the son that we lost. And I was thinking about what Abraham must have been feeling like because I know the torture of that and I know that children are our most important possession. Children are the thing that we protect with all of our heart and mind. And God is going right there to that most important thing. And he's saying, are you willing to give that to me? This isn't easy discipleship. It's, are you willing to open up your heart to me? And somehow, Abraham is answering the stunning call. He begins the journey. The stakes are higher than ever, and surrender would not come at all cheaply. But something that we're starting to discover now about Abraham in this text is that Abraham's faith was deep and it was binding. It wasn't something that came and went. This man believed in the promises of God. And we're going to see more of that as we work through this. But if you look at verses 4 through 8, it's quite obvious that Abraham was willing to do what was asked, but also he believed something about God. He believed in God's grace And he believed that ultimately, God was going to save his son. Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Really important words. We're going to come back. You stay here, we're going to go up there, we're going to come back. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. So this is one of the reasons we know that he's not a small boy, because he's carrying the wood. And I don't know if that sounds familiar at all about our Savior who carried his cross. And he took the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's beginning to put this together now, probably starting to panic. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both went they went both of them together. Abraham was confident that God was going to intervene in this process. Now, this was, the, this was a place in an era where pagan human sacrifice was a common practice. And so Abraham understood that this would have been a very immoral thing to do, and so that probably added to his confusion. But he also believed in a God of righteousness and justice, and so he believed one of two things. He believed that either God was going to provide a substitute or that he was going to raise Isaac from the dead. And we see this in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews recounts this, and we can see what Abraham was thinking in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, Abraham believed he could be raised, and figuratively speaking, yeah, he did get him back, just in a different way. But you can see here Abraham's confidence in the power of God, the grace of God. And let me just assure you this morning that when you're in the process of surrendering everything to God, he's not just going to throw you to the wolves and say, good luck with that. No, he's going to walk with you and shepherd you every step of the way. That's the kind of God He is. He is a God of protection. He is a God of graciousness. In Deuteronomy 3.16, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. Have you, ever, have you ever thought of the fact that God is rejoicing over you with gladness? But he is. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Your God is with you. He's singing over you. He loves you so much. You are the pinnacle of his creation. And then in Romans 8:38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation and might I add in parentheses in a crazy world with political unrest and violence and fear, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, when you're in this process of giving up things that you're not sure you can ever, ever give up, because giving them up feels like you're going to die literally inside, you must understand that God is walking with you. The beautiful thing about surrender is that Jesus knows that it's hard because he surrendered himself first, he went first. We've been talking during Illuminate about leaders leading out, leaders going first. Jesus went first. He gave up his position in heaven at the right hand of God. He gave up this beautiful throne room for a stable and men who were abusing him, walking him to the cross. And he never said a word. He never complained. He went there willingly. And so we follow this kind of a savior. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Looking for Whoever the author of Hebrews is, it's going to be a great discussion in heaven because this author's tuned in, man. Look at this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set us, before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god wow we are the bride of christ ridgewood church is the bride of christ and so we're being called by god i believe at this time in our in our church's history to sacrifice something in order to gain a tool that will help us save people and we can look at jesus and say he went first and we want to be like him we want to follow him into suffering we want to follow him into surrender and that's what jesus is doing And the thing that I want you to understand is that when we talk about this Illuminate project, we're not talking about a building program. We're talking about doing a mission. We're talking about getting the name of Jesus out there. Because we love Jesus, and we want to surrender everything to Jesus, and we want people to come and know Jesus. Abraham didn't even blink. He was out of the door the next morning chopping wood. But God had a plan. God's goodness is deep. God would save his son. And then he would give him an answer that was not only practical for Abraham, but it was prophetic. It was important. Verses 9 through 18 show Abraham's amazing obedience and the forecast of a coming Messiah because of it. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Can you stop for a moment and picture this? He's got the wood laid out. He's got his son laying on top of the wood. He's got him all tied up, and this may say something about Isaac's trust and obedience as well. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. He had the knife in his hand. He was ready to do the unthinkable. But verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham must have looked around. Oh, could this be the answer? Here I am. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The temple mount. The millennial reigning place of Christ. 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, and here's the reiteration of his promise and covenant, declares the Lord, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The obedience of Abraham opened up the floodgate of God's power. That that blessing to the nation is Jesus Christ, this angel of the Lord, may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. And it was through Abraham that God was doing this kingdom program to bring Jesus into the world. And one of the things that happens here because of his obedience is that substitutional atonement is introduced. And when we talk about substitutional atonement, that means that Jesus Christ as a substitute for us went to the cross and died in our place in order to make us right with God, to atone for our sin. And here's the first glimpse of it. We get this ram that's caught in the thicket that would be sacrificed for Isaac. Israel would sacrifice animals. Jesus would be the final sacrifice. And so John the Baptist in John 1.29 could exclaim, there's the Lamb of God! who takes away the sins of the world. And here's the amazing thing about this event. God protected and saved Isaac, but he allowed his one and only son to die on a criminal's cross, to be beaten, abused, and spit on for you and for me. This is an amazing picture of what it means to surrender everything. And so there was an atonement, but then also we see that the coming of Christ was enabled because of Abraham's obedience here. And if you just look at verse 18, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's Christ. So you can see how the willingness to surrender opens up God's storehouses of power in order to work through you and to work through our church. This is all so stark because this is Abraham's most precious possession. And so I ask you today, what is your Isaac? What is God asking you for? What are the things that you're holding on tightly to that might be something that is getting in the way of God. And then I think we have to ask ourselves as a church, what is God requiring of us during this time? Because I'll tell you that churches do not become dynamic, harvest-reaping churches unless they're willing to shift, change, and obey. And sometimes the calls to obey are not logical calls. They don't always make sense on the balance sheet. They don't always make sense given the history of the church. They don't, you don't always have the right leadership yet in place, but you have to trust God. And so what is your Isaac? And what we're asking, the reason we're asking that is this Illuminate thing is not the building. It's a tool for the mission. Illuminate is a tool It's to provide a building that we can use. Picture for a moment, just to get a sense of what I'm talking about, picture an intern that's doing like a residency here, being trained here, and this person is, let's say, a missionary intern or a pastoral intern, and this person is sitting in a room that's been fully refurbished in this project, and they have the right technology where they can interact with missionaries around the world and be taught by the best and they can connect in. And that missionary goes on the field and begins to lead hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ or translates the Bible into a language that is not yet translated and more come to Christ. Or that pastor goes out and begins a ministry of planting and multiplying and thousands of people come to Christ because that intern sat in that room that's been refurbished and had the right things to make that happen. Picture for just a moment a teen that's walking from Minnetonka Middle School East. These kids walk by our building every day to head down to target whoever they're harassing down there. And picture for a moment that this teen is attracted by something new going on there. It's clean, it's it's attractive, and this teen finds out that there's an after-school program, a place to have snacks, a place to meet. It's large enough to greet friends. And this teen, this student, is introduced to Jesus for the first time. It's just a tool for the mission. Picture for a moment, if you would, a civic leader in Minnetonka. She has a staff that she needs to find a meeting place for. And so she's looking around and somebody says, you know that, that Ridgewood Church up there, they seem to be concerned about the community. They've got, this looks like a brand new building. Why don't you just call them? And because the building is new and clean and larger and there's a large lobby and a place for them to meet, this becomes their meeting place. And a whole bunch of nonbelievers walk into a church for the first time and they find out that church isn't so scary and Christians aren't so weird after all. This is a tool. Consider someone that's looking for a place to do a funeral. Maybe they're not believers. And, and somebody says, hey, why don't you call Ridgewood? And they come in here and they see this beautiful sanctuary. And then they go out there and they realize that we can, we can have a dinner of 300, a lunch of 300 people in our new lobby. And they say, well, this has all the parking we need. Everything's clean. Everything's refreshed. Yes, I'll do it here. And, and all of a sudden, there's hundreds of nonbelievers sitting in here, hearing the gospel for the first time, meeting Jesus. It's just a tool. The mission is to get people connected to Christ. That's what we're giving money to. And so that's what we're talking about. We want to make Jesus known. We want to make this a headquarters, a sending off point, a gathering point, so that we can grow together because we have some dreams and visions that we believe God has given to us. Our staff and board went out on a retreat, and we began to talk about what God could do here, and we we landed on some visions that we put on the whiteboard. Could we send out 50 new missionaries in the next 10 years? Outlandish? No, because if we partner with other churches, if we use what God has given us in the resources here, it can be done. We want to plant 20 new churches in the next 10 years. Multiply, multiply, multiply. Because you take, look up here. We're not even done with the year yet. You do this times 10. Then you add the other churches that those other churches are planting while the other ones are being planted and you can start doing the math. A lot of people get saved. Can we do this? Yes. Yes. We want to develop our own leaders and interns, but we want all of you to help train because all of you have special gifts that you can come in and help with. And so, for example, I see Justin back there. Let's say we have a young intern. Justin's very skilled in areas of law and business, and he could come and he could walk alongside of that student. And I see Susie over there. Susie could teach someone how to counsel. We could all be in this together. So it's not Paul's interns, or it's not... Neil's interns. It's ours. And we're sending people out to get people saved. We can shore up our adult ministries and connect to each other to enable community groups and other gatherings. And here's the thing that excites me the most of all. Because of this, thousands of more lanterns can happen. We put a goal on the board that may sound ridiculous, but when Chad honestly started praying for this, I thought he was nuts. Man of little faith, I thought he was just some kind of charismatic wacko. He's—he actually, God actually listens to Chad. So now, whatever Chad says, can you pray with me? I jump on board really quickly. So now I'm praying for a new car, but um, (laughs) praying for 5,200 new believers in 10 years because of Ridgewood's Ministries. Can this be done? Yes, but we have to be willing to multiply. We've got to plant churches. We've got to send leaders out and we've got to develop our own leaders to go and do these things. But it can be done. Why? Because the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. Remember when the angel visited Mary? Nothing is impossible with God. Just like our financial goal. You think it's crazy, maybe, but nothing is impossible with God because we want to make Jesus known. That's our goal So next Sunday is Commitment Sunday, and I want to ask you to make this a priority in your life. This will be our chance as a local gathering of believers to come together and surrender everything to God by giving to this initiative. Please, if you can, make this a point to be here. I'd love to have everyone who calls Ridgewood Church home to be here that morning. Even if you gave a commitment on Advanced Commitment Night, would you please come and fill out a card again so we can do all of this together? I can tell you based on information that was gained by your advanced gifts, I don't know numbers, I don't know how it attaches to people at all, but our financial secretary tells me that we're off to a great start, that God is moving. And so let's be a part of that movement. Let's come together and see what God has for us, and I promise you won't be charged twice. And even more, would you take this week and pray as to whether God wants you even to change that number that you filled out before? I know that God is continuing to speak to me, and he will up until that moment of commitment. And then after we all come together and commit that night, we're going to come together and we're going to have a really exciting dinner together. This is a free dinner for your whole family. It's a really nice sit-down dinner. You do need to RSVP though please do that on your way out because we're not going to know how much money we have here it's not going to matter we're going to celebrate the goodness of God together and we're going to have a time of fellowship then on December 2nd this is when we'll be able to tell you how much we have in pledges because it takes a couple of weeks to get all of them in to tabulate them to be fair to all of the donors and we're going to have a, what we call a celebration Sunday where we're going to reveal the total, and then we're just going to praise God like crazy because I'm pretty convinced that number's going to blow us away. See, these are exciting times at Ridgewood Church, but commitment is hard, and sacrifice is hard. Abraham surrendered everything to God. He gave God his most important possession, but God was gracious to him, and we can do the same and if we are willing to follow through, if we are willing to sacrifice everything, then I believe God will rain his blessings down on Ridgewood Church. So will you just take a moment and bow your head, and I ask you to identify what is your Isaac? What is God asking you to give? And you can even put aside the money part of it. Just think about your life. Take a moment and meditate and see if you can release that to God, and then I'll close in prayer.